This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. And it's the break. It's the international break. It's almost over. I know a lot of been a lot of twiddling going on. There's a lot of people do not like the international break because they just want to get back into club action. But to be fair, I'm sitting here with the Besotted crew around the table in the Hercules pub. We've been here quite a lot here. It's uh, directly opposite Lambeth North Station. Come out the station, you can't miss it. Wicked pub, all sorts of sort of kind of I don't know if it's like a microbrewery type club it's like a sort of they sell all sorts of ridiculous ales I'd say it's an, a bit of an experimental pub it's um it's like there's some normal beers and there's some really weird and wonderful it's, like, it's not it's not your normal boozer and you need to try it definitely needs to try taking very very good care of us if you're in the area definitely it's just down the wall from Waterloo Opposite Lambeth North, just come down and check it out. The Hercules, really, really good booze. But I'm Billy Grant here, and I'm sitting here, international break, getting ready for a little trip on Saturday up north to Preston. But we will talk about that later. And I'm sitting here, my body's in the Hercules. Matt the Allard, how are you? I'm very good, Bill. Yeah, first first time for me at the Hercules. Um, you know, just out of Waterloo, down the cut, isn't it? The, is it the cut? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, um, which is. Has changed a lot in the last, you know, well, ten years. You, I would say you don't, you don't get cut walking down there anymore. Yeah, it's um, it's it's, it's quite different. I'd, I'd never ventured this far down the cut before. Um, certainly, I wouldn't. Certainly not ten years ago. But um, yeah, it's, it's great. This place is really good. Great selection of beers, um, and enjoying the um, the breakfast stout. Very good. Indeed, indeed. We have got Jerry the cabbie here, who's uh, taking a little break from cabbie duties. You know, uh, Jerry, pick up anyone interesting today. Uh, nobody, none whatsoever. No, no, nobody at all. No one. I'm not even sure I've picked anyone up. It's been you're, a quite, quiet day. You are um, south of the river. I am, uh, I am south of the river. And this, this used to be a nice little cut through. It's Hercules Road, and they've blocked the road off. So this is, uh, this is annoying. But it's my uh, virginal appearance here as well. I've popped my um, Hercules cherry coming here. Indeed. So some cherry popping going on. And I've got Dave the Laney Lane in the house. Laney, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. Yeah, I, I do like this pub. This is probably the third or fourth time we've we've had the podcast in here, and I think it's a it's a really good kind of uh, kind of halfway house. So you know, you're, you're obviously northwest, and we're obviously west. So Waterloo, it's, there's not a lot of brilliant pubs around Waterloo Station, but this is one of them. So this is a perfect place to get the old podcast vibe going on. Indeed, indeed, and like I said to you, this weekend, international weekend or international week, there's been lots and lots and lots of international action going on from last weekend going through to now, and now the clubs are starting to refocus on the games of the weekend. And last weekend, international action, England were in effect, as they say, in Wembley, played Bulgaria, 
There's a game at Wembley. England went there, did due diligence, and basically tore Bulgaria apart, and uh, got a very good result there as well. And any of you guys watched the England game on Saturday at all? Uh, no, no, I didn't. No, no, I was I was out and about. What Saturday? Who do we? Was that the Bulgaria game? Is it? Uh, high, what highlights? I think. What's the highlights? I can't. What's the score? I mean, what the score was? Nope. I watched cricket. Okay, so only me. I was at Wembley for the game. Uh, it's good. Uh, they did. They, like I said, did the business. It's very rare actually for England to play four nil as well. Because I think, uh, I, I think it is. And uh, <laughs> and uh, it's very rare for England to play a, a, a game on a Saturday afternoon now. Because you know, as you know, games are on a Friday and a Monday, and Thursday and a Wednesday. So it's actually quite a good gathering of characters who could actually come together, have a few drinks before the game. I actually met up with the Punjabi Rams and the um, and then the Punjabi villains and the basically a, a load of. Asian and Punjabi supporters groups who had come together um, to form an England supporters group. So they came down to the match to actually support England. So there was a little bit of a meet-up beforehand in a, in a pub uh, before the match. We had a bit of a curry in the pub and everything like that. Very, very good food. Um, a load of my England mates met up with the, you know, Pat from the Punjabi Rams, the villains, Blues for All, um, bicking them lots, saw them all as well. Really good to see them. We had a right good laugh, actually. And then after that, there was quite a long drink-up after the game. So that was all good as well. And then... Like I said to you, England had a good victory on Saturday, and then last night I was I just come back literally, driven back from Southampton, put the car down, come down here for the podcast. But England played last night against Kosovo in Southampton, one of their games, are an international game on the road, first time for a while they've done that as well. Twenty sixty, you know, under thirty thousand stadium as opposed to ninety thousand, which Wembley almost had ninety thousand on uh, on Saturday. There's only thirty thousand games sold out really quickly, so very hard to get a ticket for yeah, for yesterday's game. And uh, yeah, it was tight. It was buzzing. Like I said, I haven't been to Southampton since uh, Brentford beat <laughs> Southampton the last time we were down there. Actually, so very very good memories. And uh, yeah, it was good. Lots of goals. Have you seen five three, eight goals and a missed penalty as well. Um, I have to lie, actually, because Laney said, did you see all the goals, Bill? Because obviously we're known for missing goals when we go to games. And I said, yes, I saw the goals. Then I realised as I was writing them down, actually, I missed the first Kosovo goal, which was scored after about 10 seconds, apparently. So I was still queuing up with the tens of thousands of fans outside the stadium still before the game. But I saw the rest of it, and I thought it was good. Good, exciting game. But an interesting point that you were saying, because, you know, I always try and fight England's corner, and everyone starts moaning about England games qualifiers in particular being boring and then we get a game where they've won 5-3 and people are still moaning again about England and is it true that England could just they just can't win can they? Uh, no they, they can't really and, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, like put my hands up I've kind of not given up on going to England but I, I, I don't I, I don't get the vibe anymore and I, and I, so I've stopped I've stopped travelling but that doesn't mean you obviously want them not to do well but I listened to, I was in Dublin last night and I listened to the, like, the post-match comments on um, Radio 5 Live and Chris Waddle was basically like rubbish in England and I listened to him, I listened to him when we win 5-0 and he rubbish England and I listened to him when we win 5-3 and he rubbish England. So it is damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, these qualifying groups with this huge amount of um, nations that we draw upon now, including Gibraltar and Malta and all these weird and wonderfuls, that, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's almost impossible for England not to qualify. So we're obviously going to qualify from ev- for everything that we do. So it, the, the, the only test 
come for us when we actually get to the tournament, which is where we fall down ultimately. So, you know, it doesn't actually help England to be in this broadened uh, European qualification group. So, but, you know, you, as, a, as, a, as a punter, you want to go to a game and be entertained. 5-3, I say, you're entertained. So we, we, learn about, we learn about ourselves a little bit more when we're tested. So, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think necessarily there's anything wrong with winning, but in a, in a high-scoring game. The only problem is, is this rotation. You're giving lots of players lots of caps, and I'm not sure when it gets to the big tournaments we'll we'll do well from like, spreading those caps around. We need to get a great winning team, and we need to stick to it. But again, you know, there is an argument to say that you know Southgate is still trying players. He's giving players chances, you know, giving players chances to come through. You know, example, you know, obviously got Michael Keane, you know, who unfortunately he gifted Kosovo their first goal. But, you know, there's always been a little bit of a question mark in the centre of defence there for England as to who's going to be the next breed of players coming through. And you can see that they're trying, you know, whether or not it's Keane, whether or not it's going to be Gomez. You know, you've got Tyrone Mings actually being kind of sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of channelled in there as well. And to me, I think it's actually quite a positive thing that, you know, we're at the situation that we can still experiment with players to try and find out. Because at the end of the day, you know, these are high-pressure games. And these are, you know, rather than do it when they're friendlies or meaningless games or training pitch games, these are actually good games to do it. The also, the also the other thing that I would say about England is, um, yes, I mean, you are right. And they do play these matches and they are 95% chance of England are going to qualify. But I think that is also... Um, a result of the fact that actually England are better now than they were, right? And I don't know. And uh, you may, but you may argue this, but I've, you know, but I think England are a better side, as in delivering the results than they than they were. Okay, whether or not it's a style of football that they're playing, but I think they are. And 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 what's happened is that. As the bar's gone up, England end up becoming basically the top seed in each group. You're not going to end up in a group playing Germany or Spain or, or any of these other teams. You're going to end up playing teams who are technically weaker than yourselves. Back in the day, we'll end up playing teams that are weaker than ourselves. And interesting, we'll play Croatia, games that we were expected to win, and we'd lose or we'd draw. We'd go and play Slovakia or Slovenia or something like that, and we'll end up losing or drawing. Now, the thing is that we used to find these games quite exciting, because basically our level wasn't high enough, but now we're at the situation now where we're dispatching these teams, and it becomes pretty, pretty regimental. I agree. I do agree that um, England are, at, are playing at a higher level than they were, but ultimately it's the number of teams now that qualify for the finals that makes it easier to qualify for me. Makes it easier to qualify for the finals. I think that plays more of a part than than um, how England have become a. Uh, a better team than they were although as I said I don't doubt that for a minute we are we're better than we were we're more consistent than we were but how many teams now qualify for the for the Euros of 24 again I'm, I'm not quite sure because it's very very it's very very complicated but where, where we're at it's not that complicated for the actual finals it's 24 teams no no it is but it's complicated as in you get the first two then you get this other third team and then you've got the Nations League thing you know and they get automatically playoffs and all that kind of stuff but we don't really need to worry about that because at the end of the day England end up finishing top of the group anyway so it doesn't really matter about second or third England aren't finishing second or third place they're finishing top place is what my argument is and at the end of the day they're going to have a fairly strong side in their group a less strong side in their group and then probably a couple of weak sides and that's kind of the way that it is and beforehand 
they never actually never beat them. They, they draw against Slovenia or Slovakia or, or Montenegro. That's what they used to do. But now they're actually learning how to, 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 to do away with these teams and dispatch them. And, uh, and they're getting criticised for it, Jerry. Oh, but then I think football as well is just it's filtered, isn't it? If you think of, you go back like 30, 40 years and when England played and qualified before, they were up against like a Yugoslavia, which was now six different teams or whatever it is, the Russian federations. And then all, so international football just becomes so filtered that you've got all the new nations of Andorra and San Marino, Gibraltar, do they really need to be there? And that's, I think, a lot of old fans or old, maybe fans our age really, you're thinking, oh God, do you really want to watch a game in England versus Gibraltar? Or I mean, even last night to a degree, you're like, Kosovo were good. I watched the highlights. They were good, they are exciting, they played attacking football. But it's so rare that you see like a, a new nation like Kosovo playing that style, especially against us. And it just becomes us trying to break teams down, which, you know, only get two goals up. And, then, you know, when 50 million pound players have got an important game like Liverpool v United on a Saturday, they're 2 0 up against like Bulgaria in a qualifier. They're going to, you know, just sell for it, aren't they? They're not going to put, which becomes boring if you're paying. 34, and that's maybe the trouble with international football. I, I, I don't think it's unfair to say that Brentford would qualify out of this group. You know, I, I think that's where we need to, to bring the analogy back between it. No, they wouldn't. I don't, I'm not sure if they would. I'm not even knocking Brentford, but you know, you, I think you, I think you're putting down Kosovo for a start. I'm not putting down, I'm not putting down Kosovo at all. I'm just saying I'm just saying that if you've got the if you can cherry pick a best. 11 from lots of nations over one. I think England would qualify out of this group. I'd, I'd love to see England. England, you said Brentford. Sorry, I'd, I'd love to see England versus Brentford. I, I, you know, there's 24 teams qualified for the Euros now out of, I think it's 55 European teams. So that's almost a, it's almost a 50% chance, say a 45% chance in qualifying. I think even at our worst, we were probably within the top 45% of the teams in Europe. So it, it's the number of teams qualified. I, the first Euros I watched, Eight teams qualified for it. It was two. T- it was two groups of four. Now that and, and England played in it um, in 1980. Now that that was that was tough to qualify for. Of course, it is. What what I do quite like as well, though, because at the end of the day, we we like to see football. We like to see exciting football, and it's interesting to see because obviously Sterling got a right good hammer in at the World Cup. You know, he played brilliantly and he it did really work really hard. Didn't score enough goals and he got absolute hammering, but. What is really exciting is when you actually kind of see the, the way that we play now where the quick turnaround, get the ball, the fast break, the fact you get the ball to Sterling, he starts running at him. It's just, it's actually so exciting. You sort of think, listen, you know, you say this is boring football. Okay, they're having a go at them because they've let in three goals, but it is really exciting when they're on the attack, when they're on their break. And I think, you know, Sterling has been, he's been a breath of fresh air. He's been a revelation. Sancho, you know, scored two goals yesterday. He's a brilliant young player. He's, I don't even know how old he is. He must be about 20 at the oldest, you know what I'm saying? He's really young, really exciting. He's coming through. And I think to me, listen, you know, you talk about the Kevin Keegan era. <laughs> Kevin Keegan, you know, just score more goals than the opposition. Not necessarily saying we're like that, but if you're playing attacking football, you've got really exciting players. They're making exciting moves. You've got to be happy about that. Yeah, and I think what, what South seems to have done the last couple of games, I mean, he only made three changes from Saturday to last night. So he's trying to build partnerships. His midfield three, Declan Rice, Henderson, Barkley, that's been the same now for three games, is it? So maybe that's a a settled midfield. You know Harry Kane's going to start. Him and Sterling are probably the first two names. And then that 
squad, whether it's Rashford or whether it's Sancho or whether it's maybe another player come through like Foden or something like that from the under-21s, but they are playing a brand of football that when they get it right, it's good and it's brilliant on the eye. The trouble isn't England for me, it's it's the teams coming to Wembley that are come for a draw and put in two, and it makes it hard and that's when the criticism comes probably unfairly on England at times because I think Southgate wants to play decent football and, they, and they, well, you saw it last night didn't you? And, I've, and I've got to say as well the Kosovo fans were really really friendly yesterday I've never you know never come across a Kosovo I've been, I've been to millions of football matches everywhere but I've never come across Kosovo fans they were there in their droves they were really friendly chatting to them in, you know, in town they'd actually come over from Kosovo really nice really friendly I'm actually plotting my trip to Kosovo in November at the moment now and we've decided we're going to go via Serbia which could be a quite an interesting trip so a couple of days in Serbia then down to Kosovo and that's proving to be a little bit of a problem in itself because obviously you know Serbia and uh, and, and, and Kosovo uh, the relationship between the two is not that great so trying to find someone to take us between the two countries is difficult but they were great made, made noise all night they did sang when they were up sang when they were down I think that was really positive but just that I was going to come back to you because um Interestingly, Southgate was actually worried by England's, as he called it, ridiculous mistakes in a crazy win over Kosovo. So yes, we scored the goals, but you know we did things like what we see sometimes Brentford do. Where, you know, you just give the ball to the opposition and bang, 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 they scored because they're going quick on the break. Now I know that we've had a little bit of a chat about the Southgate and the. Uh, and the, and the staff that he's got underneath him and whether or not maybe he's delivering as high enough um, or as, as good as, it, as, it, as, it, as he should be. You know, I to be honest, but it's a young team, isn't it? I, I think it's not dissimilar to the Brentford model. Um, you know, there's, a, there's, there's young players. We're trusting young players in defence. Um, we've got players... I mean, essentially, look, if you give defenders licence to play the ball, Stones is, is, another, is another one... Um, Every now and then they're going to make mistakes, but you but you benefit from it as well. So you know you play attacking, exciting football, and they're not perfect, um, which is why you know that's why they didn't win the World Cup. It's um, and, and I still think there's a there's an element of a work in progress. But I think what Southgate does give them the two, he gives them the confidence to try and play, um, just as Thomas Frank does that at Brentford, just as um, you know we just as we see at Brentford is give them the confidence to try to play and if they make mistakes you know then so be it but you will benefit from it as much as you'll be um, you'll be hit by it I don't think we're perfect England but I tell you what we're damn more exciting to watch than we were 15 years ago even during that golden generation we are, and like I said, you more games to come the next international window. We're going to be talking about the next international window in a little bit, but just talking about this one quickly, just having a brief look back. If you listen to the radio show on Love Sport Radio, great radio show this week, Paul Mortimer. We had XG Dave, who, who needs to needs to know his history a little bit, Dave, but you know, that if you listen to the radio show, you'll know all about that little in-joke there as well. So XG Dave, and also we had um, it was XG Dave, and it was all JP Gary Paul was in there with Laney, with Paul Mortimer. Who actually, and I said that, I thought, it was Paul Mortimer. Did he play for Brentford? But no, he didn't. He was actually assistant manager to, um, to Leroy Rossini, actually. So, and I thought that as well. But Paul Mortimer was in there, and he was a really good little host, really good little conversation. So, check that out. There was a little bit of a recap in that match, actually, as well on the international week. And the Brentford players have gone out internationally. Um, one of the games that we want to talk about, then, is quickly, is the France under-21 game. Uh, Umo, Umo, actually, we get the pronunciation right. It's not actually Buemo, Buemo, or Buemo even. It's like Umo, I think it is. 
the pronunciation, and he played for France both at the weekend and also on Monday night. Two assists he got in his first game for France, and uh, France under-21s, and in the second game he got an assist and a goal. And this is the team that has won the World Cup. So um, I think a lot, of, and he also got the assist and the goal at Troyes, which is his old home, as we know, Brian from Troyes, as we call him. So uh, the French are very happy with him. Everyone's now talking about Brian from Troyes because as you hit that under-21 stage, especially in the France team, people have got their eyebrows raised. So I see a number of people saying he ain't going to last past Christmas with Brentford. Somebody's going to come in and throw in a load of money. I'm not quite 100% sure if that's true because he's, I think he's going to be integral to us and I think we're going to be top six by Christmas time and he's going to he's, he's going to be there for the journey. But we could discuss that a little bit later. But um, did, did anyone see the goal that he scored at all? He finished it very well. It was a, a really good um, interception on the halfway line. A break. It was a very Brentford goal, if I'm honest with you. It wasn't wasn't dissimilar to the the goal we scored against Derby, where um, it was cut back to him and he and he finished it really really well. But you saw the spirit in that team and the way they celebrated. He was part of a bigger picture there. And as you as you alluded to just a minute ago. The French, they there is progression. There is a, is a pathway. If you if you make the under 21s and you do well, you're gonna you're gonna make the full international. You're gonna you're gonna make you. He will be. He will get his full cap. And the full cap for the France while you're playing for Brentford makes him a 25 million pound player. Which is interesting. I wonder if there's going to be the same snobbery, and we talked about this on the radio show the week before, um, with players in France as there is with, with England, where they seem to put the players in the team once the, the, either in a team that's in the Premier League, even though they may not have even played very many games with that game in the Premier League. Tyrone Rings is a prime example. Played lots of games for Aston Villa. Question mark is why didn't Tyrone Rings go into you know the, 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 the Nations League for a start rather than play three games for Aston Villa and then all of a sudden he's in the England squad now. You know, and the same thing for uh, Mason Mount. Similar scenario as well. So that's the question that you ask. So is there going to be a little bit of pressure for um, Buemo to be a Premier League player? within the next year or so which is going to be an interesting thing for us as well we've got, we've got that from several of our players though you know you've got you've got like Ben Rama you know there was obviously massive talk about him getting a deal before the transfer window come down you know we put a 25 million pound price on bounty on his head um, and Buemo you know we've done a brilliant bit of business there to get him um, Watkins Another player that's you know is scoring scoring goals for us at the moment. Whether he actually makes that transition between a wide player and a centre forward, only time will tell. But at the moment, his, his goals per game tally is pretty impressive. So you know we've got argue, arguably 60 million quid's worth of talent there. That's in three players, and that's without you know we've got James Talkowski who's he's going to get a move at some stage. So there's another 10 or 15 million. You know, we, we, we're doing all right, thank you very much. Just looking at other players as well, Brentford players are out there. Um, Algeria, they beat Benin 1-0 a couple of days ago. Um, and we're talking about Ben Rama. He was actually in the squad, but he was on the bench. He didn't get a game in that game as well. Also, Pontus Janssen played for Sweden. Uh, they played Norway, I think it was. I think it was a one-all draw. Uh, Janssen, again, was on the bench. He didn't get a game. Um, also, we're talking about Devisoglu as well, who's our Halil Devisoglu, who's played for Turkey, Turkey under-21s against England. Uh, England beat him 3-2, but he had a really good game. 
Uh, so he's been playing out there, and obviously he's playing out uh, in Rotterdam at the moment, Sparta Rotterdam, coming to us in January. So uh, he's getting a little bit of a, a little, little bit of an eyeballs on him, which is good. So hopefully he's going to be well and truly in gear when he comes to Brentford in January. And also Henrik Getdalsgaard, he was in the squad for um, Denmark against Gibraltar a few days ago. He was actually on the bench against Gibraltar, and he didn't come on. They beat him six 0 So they're obviously bringing through and trying new players in different positions then. And then he actually played against Georgia. Um, I think it might be last night. There's a nil all draw that was, but he played out there as well. So Dalskar. So we've had quite a few players in and around international teams. We had a few more as well, but you know those are those are the players we're chatting to you about. So like I said to you, and as Mort said, Paul Mortimer, he said you know we, we might get excited about the fact that players have actually not played, so they're not going to get injured. But he says, but it's almost a bit of a nightmare because they're actually sitting on the bench and they're it's a bit deflated if you haven't played because they still have to travel and do all the business. So it's six or one and a half a dozen with the other whether or not it's a good thing that these players played or not. No, and, and as I said on Monday, that you know, those, those of us that have grown up from the like the eighties, nineties, and the noughties, being Brentford fans, you know, bit, when the international window came around, we played because we didn't have any international players. There was no one wanted to pick our players to represent their country. And now it's ridiculous. It's almost like every single player that we, you know, we, we would consider to be in and around the first 11 is being represented for their country. So it's incredibly exciting. Obviously, it's a bit, it's a bit kind of nerve-wracking that they could come back injured. But um, it's, we, we, it's, it's, a, it's a barometer of how much progress we've made over the last 15 years. Another point as well, if Pontius didn't play, Dowsgaard didn't play, I think Makocho, I think he's gone for the South Africa game, not played. If you're a bit annoyed, then you're going to be happy to come back, aren't you? And if your last game that is a big, well, 3-0 win at home, then you're going to be quite enjoyed to come back into like the, the training, the fold of the rest of the team. So... I would imagine uh, the next couple of days in training when they're back in will be smiles on faces. They'll forget that they haven't played and just be thankful that they're back within the, the club fold. Very, very thankful indeed. Listen, we're going to have a little bit more international chat, but what we're going to talk about after the little twang, the little break, is about this international weekend and looking at Brentford, focusing on the bees, the mighty, mighty bees. We've only got a few weeks left to the next international weekend. We've had a great result against Derby. We beat them 3-0 and then, unfortunately... We shut down for international weekend. However, right. yeah, that's right. It was uh-huh. Boris prorogued us, you know. So unfortunately, we shut down. Uh, but the question is, when we do come back, is it going to be a positive or a negative thing? And what do the fans expect? What what do they think is a decent result for Brentford between now and the next time we get prorogued in mid October? So still talking about international week, the international weekend or the international week is over now. We're back on track on Saturday going up to Preston to play them and we've got five games between now and the next international week off. At the moment Brentford, 14th place with seven points. Putting in a lot of people, if you listen to all the pundits, they go out there, oh Brentford, oh they're expected to do better, they're only in 14th place. But if you put it into perspective, we're three points off what is seen as the playoffs at the moment now it's all very tight not you know not loads of games played so we're three points of Fulham who are in sixth place they've got ten points if you take the Burnham City game for example which we technically should have done I know we didn't do but then all of a sudden you would have had three points more there you would have been ten place in the playoffs so let's put it in perspective that the gap between 14th and 6th or even 4th place is relatively tight 
and that is reflected. I don't know, we're not going to go too deep into the whole XG thing, but Brentford should be seventh. If, it, if you look at taking the XG numbers, they're 14. Teams like, you know, Bristol City are fifth, but according to the XG table, they should be 18. So they're doing very well taking their chances. So I think at the moment now, things are still trying to, to even themselves out, to suss themselves out at the moment now. And you probably won't get a really good idea till probably the next international window how the teams are going. But I'm going to go around the table there and ask these guys, over the next five games, the Allard's got these games as well, how do you think the Bees should, should be shaping up when we come to the next international window? The Allard. Um, so should we, are we going to do this game by game? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or just do an overall. Just give us, give us the games that are coming up. All right, so the game's coming up. we got this Saturday, we're at Preston away. The following um, Saturday, yep, Saturday again, it's Stoke at home, uh, and then we got. Then we move to a Sunday for a bit of telly, and that's Barnsley away. Then we have a. Then we have a very odd Wednesday home game. I can't think of many Wednesday home games in recent years. Um, this one's against Bristol City at home, and that's either because of the Sunday gives us another day to recover or whatever. Never heard of them. And then we've got um, Forest away on the Saturday, and then we're back into the international break. So I mean, just. Just go around the table there again. What are your expectations now? You mean, obviously, lots of fans are very excited after that last derby game. We beat them 3-0, but again, I was with the Punjabi Rams at Wembley on Saturday, and they just said, you just whipped our ass, Bill. You absolutely just taught us a lesson. You annihilated us, you know. It made us think about a lot of things. You were just too good for us. Is it too early to get too excited? We've had a number of upturns at the moment now. We saw Buemo, you know, play for the under-21s, and he looks like he's starting to fire on quite a few cylinders. You know, we've got Ben Rama coming back into the frame. We've got uh, Marcus Force. I know he's not one of our players, but he scored for someone else. And so we've got other players in his place. So it just goes to show you that things are starting to start to tick in and around the Brentford camp, aren't they? Yeah, um, I, I think if you're looking at those five fixtures, you know, obviously in an ideal world, you want to win all, obviously win all five. Um, unlikely uh, to be unbeaten in those five is is is, is probably uh, an objective. Um, but you know we, we obviously know that sometimes it's better to win one than lose one than is to draw them all. So you know if we if we were unbeaten and and drawn all five, we get five points. If we lose lose three and win two, we get six. So it, it shows you that it's better to win than it is not to win. Um, I, I, I go. I, I have to say that we we have to look at maximum points at Preston on Saturday. Um, Stoke have had an absolutely doggerel start to the season, so you're, you're looking for a win there, at least not to lose there. Barnsley away is going to be difficult. Bristol away is going to be difficult. Forest away. Difficult but winnable. We have, we've got a pretty good we've got a pretty good record. Of. Don't, don't worry. Some of these games are at home, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, no, no. Bristol City, I said, was at home. No, away, and you had Stoke away as well. No, so, well, I meant, I meant Stoke at home. Yeah. So, you, know, you got your phone upside down. Stoke, Stoke, yeah. Anyway, there's a, some sort of pedantry that's happened here. I, I think that we can do pretty well in this next phase. And, I, and I'm saying, like, let's win three of them and maybe draw two, but maybe lose one, draw one. So I'm not, I'm not looking for... No, How many points there? Um, ten. Ten points. I mean, ten points would bring us up to 17 points in that international window, which will... I mean, Swansea have got 16 points at the moment now in their top. 
but 10 points will probably will probably bring us close to in and around uh, I'd say in and probably in and around the, just probably just below the playoffs probably about 8th place Jerry yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Ten points, I think, is a minimum. I tell you what's interesting as well: these five games. It is only one midweek game, so essentially we're going to Preston Saturday, uh, and however you play, he's got a full week to work on all of the team shape, all of the attacking play, all of the defensive play. Uh, a week between Preston and Stoke, a week between Stoke and Barnsley, and then you've got the midweek game at home, Bristol City. So, from a coaching perspective, and for a team that's kind of gelling and stuff there's a lot of time there that Frank gets to you know work on the team shape and uh, how we were attacking so given how well we played against Derby I, I think 10 points minimum really out of these five games I don't see us going to any of them in fear and I think we can uh, it'd be interesting to see see what team we play he puts out against Preston whether Makocho comes back in whether he goes for a big attacking style or whether it just goes to sort of nullify them for a period of time and maybe us take the, the game into the last 20 and, and nick it from now. Yeah, Lord. I mean, what are your thoughts on the next match? I think if you look oh, at... Not the next match, but the next five matches. If you look at minimums, um, I think uh, pressing away minimum is a draw, but I think it's, I think it's winnable. Although it's, it's tough, pressing press away is tough. They're, they've been all right so far this season. Um, Stoke at home, you, you feel we got a win. Barnsley away, you feel we got a win. I think they've only won maybe one game this season against, which was against Fulham. Um, Bristol City at home, um, tough but winnable, maybe a draw. Forest away for the first time in a few years. I don't feel overconfident going to Forest. I think Forest look finally half decent this year. Um, so I reckon I would say I would say eight points is an absolute minimum. Um, but I think that you could squeeze 11 out of it. Okay, so, I mean, and, and for myself, I think Preston, um, even though in principle, and we're going to talk about the Preston game later, we could possibly could squeeze a point out of Preston for various reasons we'll talk about later. For me, being a little bit conservative, I'll say a point away to Preston is what we should, you know, we should settle for. Stoke City at home, 100%. If, you, if you've seen Stoke, Stoke at the moment now, even though they're doing worse and technically they should be at the moment they're, they're still you know we should catch we're catching at the moment now where they're not performing and we should 100% get a result against Stoke so that should be three points you know so that should be alright also Barnsley as well they are at the moment now one of the teams all, not only in the league table but also form wise and XG wise are doing terribly and even though we're going away I think Barnsley are a team that we should play similar football to us and I think that could be to our advantage we should take three points there as well Bristol City is an interesting one because I always say Bristol City are actually quite a good side they spent big money this time however Bristol City they're fifth place at the moment now if you look at the XG table they should be 18th if you look at them they're scoring a lot of goals but they're also letting in a lot of goals as well who's in goal? Oh, they've got, yeah, they've got, um, yeah, they've, yeah, they've got the old Bentley in goal as well. You know what I'm saying? So they're letting in a lot of goals. They're scoring a lot of goals. Um, but they're, it looks like that whatever chances they're, ta- they're getting, they're taking them, which is good to us. The fact that our defence is actually tightened up, I would like to think that we will not let in the goals against them and, 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 and we'll be able to score against them. So I actually think we may sneak three points against Bristol City and Nottingham Forest, even though Nottingham Forest, again, are so-so. If you look at the XG chart, they're doing better than they should do. They score all right goals, nine goals. They've let in six goals, but I think it's going to be a tight one away. So a point there. So I don't know is that one, one and three and three and three, three, six, nine, ten, eleven points as well. So I'm with the Allard. Yeah, that's right. Sixty. It's not quite under seventy-four percent. So I think that's kind of where we think we are. 
it's getting between sort of what, nine and it is it nine and a, nine and eleven points. I think it is seventy-four percent indeed. So looking, so that's what we do. So what we should do after the next in when we come to the next international break, which is after the Forest game, we should see if our predictions came right. Anyway, what do we know? Absolutely nothing. You know. Anyway, let's let's move on because as I'm sitting in this pub here. I noticed when you got off and went to the toilet that your, your seat was uh, purple. And then when you got up and you went to the bar, your seat was green. And, and Jerry, God, I couldn't believe it, your seat was, was mauve, you know. And, and, and my seat is bright yellow, multicoloured seats. Who needs them? So if you've seen, there's lots of videos, there's lots of photographs of Brentford's new stadium at Lionel Road. They're going out there on the interweb. Check it out, actually. Very, very exciting. We're moving next August. Well, next summer, in effect. We're moving the summer, but our first game is going to be in August. So, like I said, to any PNE fans or anybody else listening there, next season is the one. And if you go online, you'll see our new stadium is, is that the grass is down and they've started to put the seats in. And this is a bit of a controversial moment because to now, everyone's been very happy with the new stadium. Um, and there was the rumour that was going around beforehand that... Brentford aren't going to go for the traditional red and white seats that we've always had in our stadium or have had as of recent days in our stadium. We're going to go for some sort of kind of technicolor dream coat effect in the stadium where there's going to be seats from all sorts of different colors, the adult. It wasn't a rumor though, was it? I mean, this isn't news. This isn't news. No, but I'm putting the rumor out because actually no one actually pressed the button and, and, and printed it and said, these are what the seats are going to be like. So it was seen in the meeting and we talked about it and they sort of said, yes, there's going to be. But it's only now when we've actually seen the seats gone in, it's been confirmed. Well, no one's, no one's actually happy about this. Let's be, let's be 100% honest. There, as soon as we found out they were going to be multicoloured seats, we waged a, um, a complaint. And we, we went to Cliff Crown um, and we emailed him. We, we, we had some success with renaming the, um, the, 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 the executive lounges and the boardroom and whatever. And fair play to the club for entertaining that. But they stopped short of not putting multicoloured seats into the stadium. Um, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm only speaking personally, I find it embarrassing. Um, multicoloured seats are only an issue when your stadium's empty. If you have a full stadium, it doesn't really matter because there's people sitting on seats. You don't need to have a mannequin effect on a seat to make it look like it's full. So, personally, not really happy. I don't think it's going to be a massive problem. and It's probably the reason that I've not really got off my rocking horse on this is the fact that I actually think that Lionel Road or whatever it's eventually called is going to be pretty full. So, you know, it's only ever going to... These, these, these colourful seats are only going to be effective when there's no one there and that's when there's no one playing there. So on a match day, I don't think we're actually going to see any kind of embarrassment at all. But I just think that they should have been a little bit bolder in there ambition and I think they should have um, just sold the seats and made them all red yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it I think we've said it before uh, I kind of my thought process was that it was to do with this make the stadium look um, full thing and then I kind of wondered actually if it's more to do with uh, renting the stadium out to a second party um, I don't really know uh, we, you know, we've been talking about it a bit amongst ourselves. Um, 
and um, one of the big points is that we have a lot of um, photographs when you have players etc signed for Brentford and they stand in front of the uh, new road or whatever with the red seats and we're going to lose that view um, we're going to lose that photo opportunity and I know that's not necessarily the most important thing but it's one of the things that makes it home so if I'm brutally honest yeah I'm, I, I, I'm not I'm, I'm no more impressed than I was when I first heard about this and I think it's a bit of a shame really I think it's sort of you know we want it to be our home and I'm just not sure it is that, that element of it is going to make it our home I mean, I have to admit, I, I mean, I saw these, I, when we did the the, the the consultancy meetings, as it is, with the fans, and it wasn't this latest set of consult, uh, fan consultation meetings, it was the one beforehand when Mark Devlin was still here, and they had a sort of kind of smaller delegation of fans, and they took us through those things, and they took us through the, the first views of the stadium, and I remember this sort of slide went up, and then they showed the stadium with the seats, and then they sort of moved on, and I went, um, hold on a second, come back to that slide again, I said, okay, that's cool, but the seats aren't going to be that colour, are they? And then somebody's went, uh, yes, they are. And I went, that looks like Bradford City. And I remember somebody went, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, the sort of kind of mauve yellow, it, it's like Bradford City to me. And there was a kind of like, oh, humph, and then, then they kind of sort of moved on. And I think there was, I, at that stage, I thought, okay, there's going to be some, because they said we're going to have further discussion down the line. We'll have smaller cons- um, consultation groups. And I thought that that might have been dealt with at the later stage, but... After that, we found out that basically, as they said, when it was brought up, the seats had already been bought, so they couldn't make a reverse decision on it. So the seats were that colour. And the reason why they said that is because TV had dictated to the fact that the stadiums look fuller. Um, If if, if the stadiums aren't full, um, then the seats should be like that. Now, the question I'm going to ask, because they say they're working together with the TV people, is are the TV people paying us money for us to put these seats in are we getting further contribution are the TV people saying I'll tell you something there you go here's, here's two million pounds to make sure it looks better for us on TV because if they're not question why why are we, we pandering to TV so it's really easy so we're obviously not happy with the decision we're not happy with the um, the non-red seats but there, there are ways around this and you know as, as a fanzine and as a, as a kind of like protest critical friends group you know, we, we'll work with the club where we can, and if and if we um, suggest something that they don't they don't agree with, and we we're fundamentally opposed to, which you know our, our stadium should be red and white. We we can place on those seats coloured coverings, and and and, and I suggest that that's the, that's the one thing we look forward to. You know, on on the first game of our new stadium, or maybe not, maybe not the first one. Maybe let's let's have a really celebratory opening of the new stadium, but you know where, where we're not happy with the colours of the seats, maybe we cover them in material so they are red and white, and uh, we we have pictures of that, and it, it will prove that the stadium looks better in Brentford colours than it does in generic colours. Yeah, I agree with everything's been said so far, and also it's. it's the stadium gets finished we've all been watching it we've been watching the drones going up over from the club or the, the guy that does the drone himself and something interested in it and then suddenly it gets to the final sort of fit out and then you're looking on what is our stadium that could be any generic stadium anywhere but it's multi it looks like you know it's an athletic stadium multi-coloured seat so I can't imagine there's too many Brentford fans thrilled at the prospect of these coloured seats I don't get why you would just not choose a red seat as opposed to 
the yellow and the, and you know and the green and everything else. But then equally, I'd be interested to know on who's who's who came up with the idea and who okay deal the idea. Whether you know it was Matthew Benham, whether it was Cliff Crown, or whether it was Mark Devlin, who's no longer at the club. Because again, it's people making decisions on a football club that probably aren't going to be involved in this football club in maybe 10, 15, 20 years time. So. I don't know, maybe a club could have done a little bit more, really, just to well, hear views. You know, the, the way the um, complaints or the escalation process happened was that it's yeah, the buck stopped with Cliff Crown. Um, and, and Cliff stuck his neck out, and he's, he's quite happy with that. So, you know, he can live or die by that in terms of his reputation. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it's a good time to be falling out over over that but um it's it there's there's a it's been noted is a massive why would you want to do that and i i, I and if it was my decision i i don't think i i would have made the same one and i, I think i go back to B- billy's point is that ultimately who has anything to gain from this what what have the club got to gain from from it uh, not being you know red and white or red seas or whatever and maybe there is something and we just don't know it but is that a financial thing or, or, or whatever? I mean, it. No, I, don't, it I, don't I, I don't know. I, it, 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 so I go back to the question then: what What have we got to gain from doing this? Well, the only, I mean, there are there's other. At the minute, Bristol share with Bristol Rugby Club, uh, Swansea and, and Ospreys, but you know the design of those two football stadiums are football stadiums. They just happen to have rugby teams playing in there, so. Seat colouring can't really have anything to do with London Irish, you'd think, from that, because they're just renting a stadium. They've not pumped money in to help build it. So, I don't know, it's, just, it's all a little bit kind of, you know, and we're, we're talking about it now. When suddenly there's a big announcement on social media of Brentford Football Club announcing it's finished, it's done, and then a the picture shows all these, the furore is going to be ten times what it is now, isn't it, you know? Yeah, but it's, it's quite, you know, it, it, it doesn't need to be this complicated. So, you know, maybe you put all white seats in there and you use lighting to make them look red and white or green and white, depending on who's playing there for, this, you know, for that fixture. And I'm not, not, not being funny, there's no way on God's earth that Sky have paid Brentford £2 million to, to put the colours of their seats in. You know, so, so there, there are, like, um, decisions that ha- seem to have been made in in, uh, t- in you know critical timing periods that you know that it's just like okay we'll do this move on to the next decision and I, I think they've made a big mistake really uh, what I will say also is you know and we're sitting around here we've got our decisions at the end of the day listen new stadiums coming new stadium is wicked it's going to be very exciting times and, and I've heard other people saying why are you getting hung up about you know these multicolored seats? I don't think we're getting hung up about multicolored seats, or not me personally. I've just made a comment. If you want, if you want to ask my comment on multicolored, the multicolored seats, personally, I would prefer it to be red and white, just because that's my preference. Just like if I went to a shop and bought some clothes, I'd rather buy maybe like a dark blue shirt as opposed to a pink shirt or a green shirt. What's wrong you know what I'm saying? No, nothing wrong with pink. I sometimes I sometimes do buy pink shirts, but I wouldn't have my full wardrobe full of it. You know what I'm saying? So this is what I'm just saying. So for me. 
if you're talking about a Brentford stadium, the thing that I do love, and the Allard mentioned it a little bit earlier, when you ping and you pings up onto Sky Sports, you've got the reporter in the in, in the foreground, you've got the stadium in the background, you see the Brentford writing, the red and white seats, you go, that's my stadium. You feel proud about that because then everyone knows and your mates go, oh, I saw Brentford on Sky, or I saw it in a photograph, oh, it's in a movie. Look really good, that, because it's red and white. How come it's full up on a Wednesday afternoon? <laughs> you know, so that's cool. But there are people, like I said to you, even on our WhatsApp ring, who basically said, I couldn't give a monkey's, you know, what colour the seats are. As long as we've got a new stadium to move into, I'm really happy with that. Listen, this is great, and everyone has their own opinions, and that's fine. What I will come back to is, if you're, what we're not saying is that having multicoloured seats or not having is, is the difference between having a stadium and not having a stadium this is not what we're talking about here you know what we're talking about here is a situation of like say for example if somebody said to you if somebody said to those same people would you like to have multicoloured seats or not it doesn't matter the difference between the two are just asking you what would you prefer red and white seats or green yellow blue purple orange grey seats what would you like and, and I can guarantee you the answer between for 95% of those people they would say red they would say red and white you know so this is I think the situation and I think that it's great that we got a new stadium, but sometimes we mustn't feel the situation that we feel that we have to be so grateful that we've just got a stadium and we've got grateful that anything happens because at the end of the day, we should also have some sort of a say in this and also some sort of an opinion. And we're not sitting down there slagging or rubbishing the club. We're just, we're just making an opinion. We have had dialogue and, you know, you know, and we have to say to the credit to the club, that we've been able to change the names of lounges, and you know the great Harry Curtis is being called the, the the new boardroom. And you know, last week I saw Harry Curtis's family, and you know his granddaughter cried that the fact that the club are recognising her granddad. So, you know, there are positives that come out of this. There are obviously negatives that come out of this. You know, and, and we're never ever going to shy behind the fact that none of us really want to ever leave Griffin Park. If we could stay at Griffin Park forever, it would be a, an, an amazing day that that was announced. But we we have to progress. We have to move forward in the same way that you know the teams that we celebrated in the 70s and the 80s we thought were great were rubbish compared to what we've got now. And you know we we are progressing at a rate that we never ever thought we'd see in our lifetime. And we we have to we have to. Brace ourselves, brace ourselves, strap ourselves in and get ready for the journey because we're not going backwards at the moment, we're going forwards. And anyone that says that whatever's happening at Griffin Park at the moment is a negative is a fool. Forwards and looking forwards. Let's look forward to this weekend. Preston North End are coming down to Griffin Park. We always tell you this, we love a trip up to Preston our Preston chums, our Preston buddies, they come down to Griffin Park, we meet them, they stay for the weekend, we go up there, get there early, leave late, and they take us all around the town. Very much looking forward to seeing our Preston chums on Saturday as they meet us off a very early train. But listen, before we talk about Saturday and the game, we need to know as much as we want to know about Preston. Let's go up to Preston, talk to Bill from Profound Valley, because he knows everything about Preston North End. This is Bill Whisker. Hi, this is Bill from Profound Valley. I'm looking forward to Brentford's visit to Preston on Saturday. Preston have made a decent start to the season. We lost on the opening day to Millwall away from home. Since then, we've done well. Um, we've got back to seventh in the league. 
We're in the third round of the League Cup with a tie against Man City. And this is largely based on the home form with three out of three wins in the league at home. Uh, Wigan, Stoke and Sheffield Wednesday have been dispatched with relative ease. Um, This is based on Alex Neal putting technical players into the side. He's come on record as saying he's trying to get as many technical players into the side, especially in the home games, where in the last couple of seasons he's often relied on athletic players. Um, So, yeah, Alex Neal's the manager. Um, He's he's often criticised for having a plan A, having no plan B and sticking to it. And that's something that a lot of Norwich fans said when he came to Preston. And sometimes it's hard to disagree with that. Um, The way it's gone in, this is his third season now as as Preston boss, and the way it's gone in the first two seasons, we've either been very good and gone on a a really good run, but when we've been on a bad run, things have been bad. Last season, we went two months at the start of the season without winning a game, and we had a terrible spell at the end of the season as well. In between that, we were superb, and we, we, we for for most of the season, in the middle of the season, we were one of the best teams in the league. And obviously, we ended up in the bottom half due to having a terrible start and a terrible end. So, yeah, but at the moment, things are good. Things are good, and we're up to seventh in the league, like I said. And, uh, people are happy with Alex Neal, and we're doing well. Uh, players-wise, yeah, we lost Callum Robinson to the Premier League, which is a massive loss. He was probably our most creative player He's gone to Sheffield United and he's doing well in the Premier League. Um, we, we brought in David Nugent. He's injured, he's not played yet. We brought in a lad called Tom Bayliss from Coventry who's highly rated, but again, not really played much in the league and unlikely to play on Saturday. Um, Patrick Bauer's been brought in from Charlton who's a really good centre-half and he looks very good. Uh, the man in form is Daniel Johnson. He's he's played deeper in, in the last few seasons, but he's playing in a more attacking midfield role now, behind the striker. And he's been exceptional, especially in our home games. So Brentford need to watch out for him. And like I said, Alex Neal's filled the team with technical players. So you've got Daniel Johnson there. And on Saturday, you're likely to see Billy Bowden and Josh Harrop as well, who are very technical players. Um, as far as Brentford are concerned... I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about Brentford's players. Uh, Ollie Watkins is a name that comes to mind. Romain Sawyers as well. Obviously, he's gone now and you've sold him. I'm, a, I'm aware that you've spent a fair bit of money on players. and uh, Preston are probably one of the one of the skinflint teams in the Championship. I think Brentford have spent 20 or £30 million pounds on players, which is... Uh, which is crazy uh, as far as Preston fans are concerned. We, you know, we just think we'll never spend that on players. I think Tom Bayliss was about £2 million. Pounds who's our record signing. And, uh, yeah, the man in form, Daniel Johnson, is famously a 50-grand player. Uh, so, Brentford, yeah, they're a good side. Um, every time I've seen Brentford, I've been impressed. They're, they're a good football inside and they're very technical. Um, we often see a lot of goals between Preston and Brentford. Um, so... I think we've had some 4-3s, some 3-2s, some 4-2s. I know we had a 5-0 at, at your place a few years ago. Um, but yeah, Brentford are a very good technical side. I think I'll look back at the history of the teams. and We first played in the league in 1933 
uh, on Christmas Day at your place and it was 3-2 to Brentford and the return fixture in the league was the day afterwards on Boxing Day and that was 3-2 to Preston at Deepdale and we've not had a lot of nil-nils throughout the whole time we've played each other. Um, so, as far as Saturday goes, I think we'll see a lot of goals. And I'm sorry to say this, but Brentford are a decent side, but I don't think any of your players are of the calibre of Lloyd Wusu. And I think you're going to struggle on Saturday. I think it's going to be a painful afternoon for Thomas Frank. And I think it'll probably be a painful afternoon for Billy the Bee. And I can see it being 4 or 5 nil to Preston on Saturday. But whatever happens, we'll meet up with the Brentford boys. We'll have a good drink in town. So interesting views from Bill up in Preston. We'll see him on Saturday for beers, along with the other characters as well. We're going to meet off the train John Lee, the Astley as well. Um, ben Astley was on the radio show 8 till 9, Monday night. Check it out, prideofwest.london. But Ben was on there, so he's a double bit of Preston knowledge in this week's Pride of West London podcast and radio show. But Preston, uh, not done too badly at the moment now. Like, you know, they're doing all right, you know, in the league. Preston North End, seventh place. They're just off the playoffs. And uh, they're actually seventh place, but according to the XG chart, they should actually be third. So what they're doing is they're not obviously finishing the chances that they're actually creating at the moment now. Preston's characteristics, um, strength of shooting from direct free kicks, finishing scoring chances and creating long shot opportunities very good at that but their weaknesses and this may actually uh, be to our advantage they're defending against attacks down the wings we talked about that with Derby County a few weeks ago as well attacking them down the wings so hopefully that'll be Brentford's uh, attack as well defending through ball attacks aerial duels so they're not great in the air defending set pieces as well and protecting the lead as well so they play with width they control the game in the opponent's half so you know they attack down the left they play long balls they're not very aggressive as well and they play the off try trap a lot and they rotate their first 11 so that's going to be they're not particularly nasty no they're non-aggressive really Uh, I'm not sure about that we shall see on Saturday so that's interesting about Preston listening to that with Preston you know we're you know we counter attack people we're good at protecting the lead we're good at defending set pieces how do you think maybe that this may we may be able to shape up on Saturday um I think it'll be tough Saturday. I think uh, Alex Alex Neil. Um, I think his team's always tough to play against. Uh, I'm not sure we have a great record against them. I might be wrong. Um, so you know, I I think it's if, if we came away with a point, I'd be happy. If we came away with three points, I'd be delighted. If we came away with no points, I'd just have had a good drink. Yeah, I've got to ask you, Jimmy. Do you think for this game, and I know what the answer is, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Are we going to go sort of kind of defensive Brentford and sit back and hit them on the break, or do you think we actually might go for it? I think this is one of the games where you, you can't. I, I'm not so sure to be honest. Do you sit back? Um, are they that good? And it seems like they are because if they're third in the XG and all of that sort of stuff, so and they're seventh in the in the in the real league, um, then maybe you do and you try and hit them on the break. But there's also a bit of me that says fuck it, let's just go with it. Yeah. Let's let's put out the same team that played Derby. Let's get Canos a wing back, get Dow's guard in the back three and let's go for it. Yeah, I mean, you need to go um, f- four, three, six, eight and then um, we're, we're, no, we're, we're, we're just overwhelm them. We're good. I'm just saying that, I mean, because they are, they, are they are high in the XG but they've had, you know, talking about home games as well, the fact is that they've, you know, they beat um, Sheffield Wednesday 2-1 um, 
Um, and uh, you know they were, they were, they were, you know, against Sheffield Wednesday, they were, they were, they, they were pretty, you know, they're pretty good against XG of two. But when you look at that, they actually had two penalties. So I think that may have distorted the figures to, uh, to a certain extent. Away at Bristol, again, away, probably different story. They were pretty, um, they're pretty average, it has to be said. Away at Nottingham Forest, but the other game that they had at home as well, they are Wigan. They beat Wigan three nil. As well now, Wigan are one of the teams, but I've got to admit, they're struggling, particularly away from home. They didn't particularly have great chances, but they put all three of them away. So, my 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 argument is, I'm just saying that with our defence as it is, if it doesn't do the silly mistakes, technically, if we can keep them at bay, they don't. They seem to see still be they're scoring the chance they have against teams like Wigan and the two penalties. But I think that if we can keep them at bay. I think we could possibly nick this game, Jerry. Yeah, that's why earlier I said I'd be interested to see what team he picks. Um, like Canos at right wing back. We'd love to see it, but I think he'll go back to Dow's Garden. I think he'll bring Pinnock back. And then I'd be interested to see whether Mokocho starts because I think Camo brings a bit of stability, doesn't he, to the team. And then but I kind of think this would be like the almost like, like Derby was we felt like it's the start of the season as to Brentford getting back to the way we should be playing and I think this will be the the away game that we'll see which way Thomas Frank wants to go whether we go a little bit defensive and a little bit kind of you know uh, pragmatic or he just thinks sod it put all the players out there we'll go for it and go for the win for everything a reason we go to no we go to Preston without any F-E-A-R fear no fear well, there's no fear. Like I said to you, after you've won 3-0 against Derby, it changes everything, as they say. Finish it. Yeah. Absolutely no fear. So listen, just going around the table here, like I said to you, we're at the Hercules Pub, Wicked Pub in Lambert North, just opposite the station. A few minutes' walk from Waterloo. Come down there. They will take very, very good care of it. But Preston, Saturday. Big game for Brentford, away game for us. We we hadn't won our second away game till I don't know. It was like I don't, like, I don't know when it was, like March or April, I think last year. So whether or not we're going to get our second away win at Preston, we shall see. But going around the table, are you confident, the Allard? I think it'll be. I'm going to go two-two, two-all. I think it's um, it's going to be a bit tight, and I think we just we'll find our feet again. But my suspicion is we're not going to go. We're not going to go out and out for it. So I reckon two-two. Laney. Fantastic expectations, amazing revelations. 3 2 win, Brentford. 3 2 win for the Laney. Up on the Jerry, the cabbie. Well, I think it'll be a tight, as Matt said, and I think it will just be the 1 0 win and a kind of not a late goal, but a kind of late second half goal. But it'll be a comfortable 1 0 win. Yeah, and the Jerry, I'm, I'm thinking exactly like the cabbie, keeping a disciplined performance, keeping it tight at the back, and just nicking it at the end to send us all into absolute ecstasy on that away terrace and uh, a nice late drink after the game with the Preston characters. But like I said, very, very happy. This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. There's absolutely no fear. Check us out, prideofwest.london. Check out the radio show, 8 till 9 on a Monday night. It's all on there. We're going to be live after the game with our post-match podcast. You'll be able to post-match reactions from Brentford and Preston fans but we're sitting here in the, in the Hercules taking great care of us we're very very happy as we're looking forward to Saturday's game as we say we
away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.